Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. My name is David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, you should know that the Slash Filmcast typically broadcasts live uh, on YouTube. And you can find more of our episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com and find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, I'm going to tell you what we're doing today on the Slash Filmcast. We're going to start with some what we've been watching, move on into a Slash Film Court segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas, and then uh, conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Now, uh, we are actually doing a doubleheader tonight. We're recording two Slash Filmcast episodes at once, uh, and so each episode is probably going to be a little shorter. Uh, but this episode is going to cover everything I just said, including Jack Reacher. And the next episode, next week's episode, will cover Black Mirror Season 3, which is a request we've gotten uh, quite a bunch of times to review that, that show in depth, which just debuted on Netflix. Uh, so look forward to that next week, uh, but we're recording it soon after we record this episode. So uh, this episode and next week's episode will be a little bit shorter than uh, you might be uh, used to. One other thing, uh, Jeff Kanata and I had a chance to interview Dan Trachtenberg today. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, and also directed episode two of the new season of Black Mirror entitled Playtest. So you will be able to look forward to that interview next week as well after the Black Mirror uh, slash Filmcast episode debut. So a lot of good stuff coming to you guys in the next couple weeks. I uh, hope you guys enjoy uh, the show. So let's get into what we've been watching this week. Devinder Hardwar, one of the first things that you and I ever bonded over was a series of films uh, put out by uh, a, a radical new, new distribution arm called BMW Films, entitled uh-huh. The Hire, uh, that Clive Owen starred in. He was the driver, and what they did, what BMW did, was they got a bunch of uh, auteur directors to come in and make a short film. Yeah, uh, John Woo, John Frankenheimer, like just, John Woo, yeah, John Tony Frankenheimer, Scott. Yeah, yeah, Guy Ritchie, Tony Scott, like a bunch of really talented folks, um, and. I actually uh, read a business case. My professor, who I worked for at Harvard Business School, did a business case on the hire. Uh, and it's easy to forget what a bold move that was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is like, uh, I, I think YouTube was around then, right? But like, no, it wasn't, man. Well, wasn't, was it, YouTube was like 2005, 2006. And this was even before that, I'd say. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So it was like they pre- were just- it was pre You had to like download the videos, right? Yeah, there was that's no right. You had to go to this, some special website. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, they gave each of these directors what, you know, they had a script, but it seemed like carte blanche. Uh, but he- here's another thing that's really crucial about these films the cars, the BMW cars that these films are meant to advertise, get completely wrecked in these movies, <laughs> right? Which is not some- typically something you want. Uh, right. To show you, you don't want to fund a commercial for your car where it is riddled with bullet holes and gets completely destroyed. Uh, so it, it is a very risky gambit to just you know pay these directors mm-hmm. to make these short films. Uh, but overall, I think it was a success for them. I mean, they got rave reviews. The, the short films were awesome. I think uh, it was a gamble too because uh, a lot of people assumed Clive Owen was going to be the next James Bond. I think at that right. point, like those were the rumors. So it was kind of BMW almost banking on that cachet as well. Yeah, and he uh, did end up being a, quite a successful actor. Never became James Bond. Perhaps he, he still didn't want it. One yeah. Day. yeah. Uh, Jeff Kanata, were you a fan of the higher the uh, BMW films? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the big hullabaloo that was happening at that time, and I and, still, uh, yeah, you watch them fun. now; they still hold up. Yeah, yeah favorite BMW sequence. film, guys. Favorite d- BMW oh, film. Oh, I can't the, even remember the Joe Carnahan one. I watched uh, that one. Ticker is the Ticker. Joe Carnahan one. 
So good. The opening of that, just like, and that, that shot I remember too. It's just like, you know, you, you see moving asphalt, uh, gunfire along the side, you know, the cement, and then car zooms into frame. Yeah. Like, really nice setup. That was pretty good. Uh, I didn't I, know there was going to be a quiz, Dave. <laughs> I don't remember uh, that. Yeah, there back. was actually two seasons of The Hired, looking at the yep. Wikipedia page. Uh, my favorite one is Hostage, the John Woo one. Uh, it was really good. I remember the dialogue yeah. being terrible. A lot of the dialogue one. is not super great. In these it's films. not about that. It was almost yeah. like a, they're almost like music yeah. videos. Yeah, they're yeah. like music yes. videos, like style exercises that feature BMW cars, basically, and yeah. uh, and they're very entertaining. So a new one just came out. I think it was in the last twenty four hours, um, and it was directed by Neil Blomkamp. I dare say it is Neil Blomkamp's best film since District Nine. <laughs> it's called The Escape. You can find it now on YouTube. And uh, Divinder Hardware, what do you think of it? I haven't seen it yet, actually. I haven't oh. had time. I've been busy all day oh, today. But right. I linked it to you, Dave, because yeah. I saw that I, checked it I, out. I knew you would love it. Yeah. I checked it out. Uh, yeah, it, it's solid job by Neil Blomkamp. You know, uh, the cast is amazing. They got Does Clive Owen still Cl- have it? Clive Owen, I think Clive Owen still has it. Um, I think uh, Joe Bernthal, Dakota Fanning, Vera Farmiga oh, are in this short film. So, like, crazy cast. Very talented. Uh, and it it just basically is like a really entertaining car chase, and there's not much more to it than that. I mean, there's a plot, but it is not uh, super great or well developed. It's more uh, of a car chase we got the, uh, than in Jack Reacher too, right? So, uh, yep, I I agree. Like the car chase is is pretty good. It's very well done. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the plot involves a company called Molecular Genetics, which is probably right. like one of the most generic. <laughs> uh, sort of biotech company. Call it genetics. Heard. Genetics. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, it is yeah. pretty. Pretty. Uh, Why well, get uh, Neil Blomkamp generic. to do this? That's really strange. Out of all the like up and coming promising directors right now, that's kind of funny. Well, I think for Neil Blomkamp, it's a great move. You know, yeah. this is a guy who was thought of as a wonderkind with District Nine, uh, which I think was nominated for Best Picture, and then flushed all that goodwill down the toilet with Elysium and Chappie. And so for him, coming back to this thing where it's like very contained, the movie's basically 11 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and there's like three, four minutes of credits. And he which started is like, out in short films, right? So Yeah, he, start, he, he started out in short films, yeah. So uh, for him, I think it's a great move, and he gets to show that he still got it. He gets to show that he still has these skills that made people revere him in the first place mm-hmm. um, without needing to worry about it being like a super profound script. Uh, which I would argue District 9 was in some ways. So uh, I think it's a great career move for him and um, glad to see The Hire is back just like as a marketing vehicle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> marketing vehicle. Get it? Guys? Anyway, yeah. uh, just as a marketing tool, I think it's uh, unique in our yeah. times. Well, it's and- funny how much BMW just sat on these things too. Like post-YouTube, it's been 10 years since YouTube came out, and you can still see those BMW uh, films, but they're all on, like, unofficial channels in, like, not the best quality. They should have been something BMW was, like, promoting in HD and whatever, you know, for a while. And they just kind of didn't do anything with it. It's weird. I'm not entirely sure about that, uh, like, why they did it that way. Uh, But, you know, maybe they just thought it had served its purpose, and they didn't want to put any more work into uh, promoting it. But, yeah. uh, Either way, it's a cool little cultural artifact and I recommend you check it out. It's called The Escape, and it's available online. You can just Google search it, and you'll find it. It's part of the higher uh, BMW Films series of short films that feature Clive Owen as the driver in BMW cars. Uh, Jeff Kanata, you had a chance to watch a pretty cool movie this week, did you not? 
Yeah, I got a chance to see Doctor Strange uh, really early. Uh, We're obviously going to be reviewing that at a later date, so I won't go into detail. But uh, the short version is it's one of my favorite Marvel movies now. Uh, I think it's in the very top tier of Marvel movies. It's inventive and fun. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about it in greater depth with you guys. Uh, But it was cool. I went to the junket and I got to interview uh, the cast and the director and – uh, you can see all that stuff if you want to check out my interviews with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Benedict Wong and Mads Mikkelsen and a lot of other people. Um, Scott Derrickson, the director. Uh, so not a lot of other people, like two other people. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's all uh, over at comicbook.com. Um, or you can visit my website, jeffcanada.com, where I uh, archived all that stuff too. Cool. Uh, but, Let me ask you a question. Uh, I've yeah. heard that this is one movie that people say uh, you should definitely check out in 3D. Would you agree with that? I saw it in 3D. It certainly was cool in 3D. I don't think it's essential. Um, uh, I don't know. It, I, I thought it was pretty good 3D. I didn't think the projection that we saw it, that I saw it in was particularly great projection. So usually that really is really the determining factor uh, for whether or not the, the 3D pops. But um, there is a, a lot, as you can probably guess, because of who Doctor Strange is. There's a lot of uh, mind-bending kind of imagery, and in 3D, it, it is even cooler. So, so yeah, I think 3D is cool. I don't know if it's uh, it's like um, you know Jungle Book or uh, Avatar or one of those where it's like definitely seen in 3D. But right, right. yeah, cool. Well, uh, you can look forward to our Doctor Strange uh, review in a few weeks, and also planning on uh, interviewing C. Robert Cargill, the writer of Doctor Strange uh, and friend of the show. Uh, crazy that, you know, this year we've had a situation where we've had guests of the Slash Film cast uh, go on to make hit films that everyone's talking about. So super cool and looking forward to reviewing that film and getting Cargill on to discuss it in depth. Yeah, we'll uh, just be here watching everybody go on to greatness. <laughs> just stay <laughs> just, here. You just made it a little sad there, Jeff. Um, <laughs> one thing uh, I do want to say about what we've been watching, the reason the what we've been watching is a little bit short uh, today is because a lot of us uh, spent a lot of time watching Black Mirror, which we're going to review uh, in a separate episode. And that's a uh, lot of freaking TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> it lot is. of time watching a thing that we just, by the way, it came out like three days ago. So yeah. we plowed through it all. And, uh, and so that's why what we've been watching is a little short this week. I will also say, with regards to our review choice this week, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, I, I am totally fine that we chose that movie, and I'm looking forward to diving into it with you guys. In uh, retrospect, there were probably more interesting movies to pick. But, yeah. I think that uh, my biggest regret is not having seen that new Ouija movie, which yeah. I've heard is great. Looks the trailer really scared yeah. the hell out of me. Mike Flanagan, uh, but, guys, he's 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 talented, right? I think the reason there was not more excitement is because the first Ouija movie was apparently terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. But this Ouija movie was quite good. You're talking about Ouija Origin of Evil. Yes, that's 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 a new one, right? The new Ouija movie. Yes. yes. Um, so it's I'm a actually, prequel, guys. I'm actually thinking Origin of, of Evil. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know Jeff, you mock, but the the reviews are actually quite good, and you haven't seen the trailer, I'm guessing, but no. the trailer is pretty great as well. So uh, I will probably try and check that one out. But yeah, same. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you, you know, look forward to that as a future what we've been watching most likely. Uh, so I, I'm I'm not doubting the movie is good. I think the title is not. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that is a fair point, Jeff. Origin of Evil, I guess, is not a Ouija super... colon. <laughs> Origin of Evil. <laughs> that is not a strong title. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with you on that. <laughs> Speaking of judging things, Jeff, why don't we get right now to uh, our next segment, The Slash Film Court. 
You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The Slash Film Court, for those who don't know, is a segment in which we on the Slash Film Cast adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking about and struggling with. This email comes in from Extra Seat Man from Brooklyn, New York. Extra Seat Man from Brooklyn, New York. He'll explain why he's called Extra Seat Man in a second. Here we go. He was, he was bitten by a radioactive extra seat. Mm, all right. Uh, that was works, about eh? as weak as the Ouija Origin of Evil title, Jeff. <laughs> um, all right, here it comes. I go to the movies quite a bit, at least twice a week, splitting my month between new releases and specialty screenings at various cineplexes. As I'm sure Devendra can attest, reserve seating is a fairly new and exciting frontier for us in the city, and I've quickly adopted it as a hard and fast rule for my trips to the cinema. No reserve seats, no deal. All well and good, right? Why is this guy writing us, you ask? Here's why. The power of being able to reserve seats has unleashed something in me, something powerful. You see, thanks to my disposable income and the almighty dollar, I can spend an extra 20 or 30 bucks to ensure what? no one has the ability to sit next to me and possibly ruin my movie-going experience. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's just pause right here. <laughs> you, sir, are a monster. Continue. <laughs> Uh, I can enjoy a film the way it was. I was meant to. I'm tired of the talkers, the smelly fast food people, the smartphone people. So I buy two extra tickets. Yes, two extra tickets to most screenings I attend, especially if it's at a cheaper rep screening house. I reserve the seats on either side of me so it's impossible for any stranger to come near me or even have the opportunity to wreck my screening with their nasty, inconsiderate habits. One seat away does not... <laughs> a, a buffer make like that's not a, that, people can yeah, ruin yeah. your experience more than people, one seat away the people and, behind and then, you often ruin your experience more right yeah yeah, yeah and then they've ruined a 60 dollar experience for guys, you guys guys i'm i'm still mid-email here okay sorry, sorry, uh sorry. i'd say 75% of the time this plan works wonderfully i carve out a nice spacious area and enjoy the movie in relative peace and quiet Pre-show, as people settle in, I put a jacket on one seat and a bag on the other. This way, I avoid having to lie or make excuses for people who decide they want to switch their crappy seat for one of mine last minute. Now, here is the dilemma. This past week, I attended a clearly oversold screening at the Metrograph. So oversold that they brought in these folding, these steel folding chairs they use in gym class and set them up near the front row. I had my two extra seats, as usual, towards the middle of the screening room and kept to myself. But as the lights came down, I began to get pestered by two front row people desperate to switch their seats, who saw my two seemingly empty seats as viable options for them. I protested because I paid for both seats. For the duration of the movie, they belonged to me, no? As you can imagine, I got some curious looks, and since my extra seat plan is admittedly kind of weird, I tend to want to avoid explaining it out loud in public. But I caved. Well, I half caved. I explained to the pesterers that I had bought the extra seats and they were spoken for. But I lied and said they were friends for friends who were running late. This was met with a curious look at first and then a combative response. Well, if they don't show, we're taking them. I could tell the pesterers weren't going to take no for an answer. And in my weird self-embarrassment over my extra seat plan, I gave in to them rather than have to possibly explain myself and face potential public mockery. So who's in the wrong here, gents? Do I have claim to those seats no matter what? 
it's not my fault the theater is oversold. But am I in violation <laughs> of some rule of, un- of empty seats? The way crowds will shift places at a baseball game, Old West rules, every audience member for themselves? Doesn't reserve seating reserve me the right to purchase you out of bothering me? Quote, unquote, purchase you out of bothering me? I await your verdict. And please, can I make a request? Don't use my real name. <laughs> that comes from Extra Seat Man from Brooklyn, New York. Weirdly, though, that is his real name. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, have t- I have two words for this guy that's going to solve this problem. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Real doll. <laughs> if he's got that kind of money, invest in a couple of real dolls, carry them under your arm into the theater, plop them down on your chair and then anybody comes and says can i use those seats say no this is for my friend pat who has to sit next to me <laughs> and then they won't they're not they don't they won't want to sit next yeah to me. actually That's you're true. right that would That's be very true. frightening um and with this guy this guy or i assume it's a guy's disposable income uh he should be able to afford a real doll which by the way jeff i believe is actually one word it's not two words um, but uh, another option is like a comfort doll of some kind too, not just a real doll, but something weird and creepy to just keep people away from you. That'll work. You know, guys, yeah. I, uh, just random other story. Uh, I had, uh, dinner recently with a, uh, slash Filmcast listener while I was in Chicago. We were actually, we actually went to see the SIA concert, I have a separate story about the SIA concert, but, um, uh, this slash Filmcast listener, uh, Donish, who's, who's been, a a long-time listener, uh, and supported The Primary Instinct and a bunch of other things. Um, uh, Danish uh, brought his friends to the dinner. One of them was a psychiatrist. And, I, of course, I asked the psychiatrist, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen? And she told me this story about this guy who is completely schizophrenic and had built his wife out of, like, you know, stuff he found and bought at an arts and crafts store. Uh, and, and I thought like, oh, like his wife died and, and he built like a model of her. No, like built like a whole new thing. He had never had a wife and like built this wife out of, you know, paper and all this crazy stuff that you could find like lying on the street and, um, and was like having, you know, carnal relations with it and stuff, you know, like, like treated it like an actual wife. Okay. Um, and then, and then I brought Swiss up the question. Army man. I brought up the question, like, how is that different than people who own real dolls and treat them like actual humans? You know, which people do. They buy these real dolls. Yeah, and they, that's just a DIY real doll. It's, that's exactly yeah. what I was saying. Anyway, okay, we're we're going this off is track totally here. Related to the story, we're yeah. going off track here. Uh, uh, so, so I think in terms yes. of a ethical situation, like right and wrong, I ultimately agree with Extra Seat Man from Brooklyn, New York. I ultimately mm-hmm. think that he paid for the seats. The seats belong to him for the duration of the runtime. No one has a right to, to claim them. So I think, like, from an ethical okay. perspective, I think he's right. Now, there yes. are a lot of practical considerations that come mm-hmm. into play, as well as just common sense considerations that come into play yeah. uh, that are, are more murky. Uh, so, Devendra, you you live in Brooklyn, so you yes. have the most experience with. You probably even been to the Metrograph before, right? Yeah, yeah. So, here I think. Yeah. So, what do you make of Extra Seat Man's dilemma here, and what what advice would you give him? So, I mean, first of all, you must have a lot of extra money 
to just do this. Like, yeah. buy Hope a projector. You're donating to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, buy a projector, stick a screen on your wall, and build your own movie theater, like, in your apartment or wherever. Like, you, you probably have the space. If I can do it, you could do it. So consider that. And, but but and it sounds like Extra Seat Man likes right. the the atmosphere created by a lot of strangers, but Does he doesn't want to deal. Like he doesn't want to deal with the negative downsides of right. having strangers near you want him. Some of the atmosphere, but you don't want all of the atmosphere. That's you right. don't want it like too close within like a ten, you know, five foot radius of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, for so uh, in general, in most screenings, it's probably fine. Like that's. I would say it's legally fine to do that. No one's yeah. going to stop you, and you have a right to those seats because you bought them. In a crowded, you know, in a very crowded, uh, sold-out screen, I think things could be a little different. Um, just because it, you, like you, have, you still have the right to those seats, yeah. but uh, out of human decency, of, you are basically yeah, pure, depriving others exactly. of those seats uh, and forcing them to sit in a horrible seat. Because of the risk that you might have assholes near you, which, as we've already discussed in this episode, uh, even if there are assholes near you, purchasing a seat to your left and right might not necessarily solve for that. Right, right, right. Like the people in front of you, the people behind you are still a potential problem. So it doesn't quite solve everything unless you buy like the seats in a radius around you. Which, by the way, uh, like my guess is that we've given him that idea now and he's going <laughs> to buy the – the eight seats to his front and back now. Right. But I mean, uh, overall, though, yeah, in a crowded theater, it sucks because the people who are in terrible seats or who are in those folding chairs, you are depriving them of that thing. Yes, technically, uh, reserve seating means that nobody else should be sitting in them. But I've, you know, I, I've swapped seats with people who've done reserve things because like, oh, maybe they bought last minute and like, you know, a couple couldn't sit together. So I move over one. You know, so I'm not the awkward person in the middle or something, you know, like those situations happen. Um, that is a rough situation. Like, I cannot defend the choice of maintaining that decision in a sold out screening. That's a thing you do for comfort uh, when you can, you know, actually when the screening allows for it, basically. Yeah. The, the situation is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And honestly, the reason somebody would buy seats on either side of them is for when it's a crowded theater, right? Right, yeah. The, the, the situation at which it is least ethical is the situation at which it is most useful. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like somebody, that, you know, somebody that's dying of thirst and you buy a bunch of water to pour over your head. <laughs> just because you can, just because you have access to be able to do that doesn't mean you should. The intended purpose for a seat at a movie theater is for an ass to be put in it. And for you to just have the money to prevent asses from going in that seat doesn't mean that asses shouldn't be in that seat. That's mm -hmm. what the seat is for. So it's nice to not have someone sitting next to you. And yes, maybe you are privileged enough to have the money to be able to prevent someone from sitting next to you by just throwing money at the problem. But that doesn't mean that that's right. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that that's, that should be done. Just because you have the money to do something doesn't mean you should do it. And I think that to, to anything, not just movie screenings, but anything where you are paying to prevent the intended use of something, to deprive someone of the intended use of something for your own personal comfort is ethically wrong. Hmm. Yeah, you know, let, that's, me also put, let, me, let me also put this out there. Firstly, mm -hmm. Jeff, I'm really glad you provided an opinion on this that wasn't related to real dolls. Um, and I, I agree with you. That's a great – that is a great – Now, that's position. what I'm saying. You put a real doll, that's an ass in that seat. <laughs> now we're all good. Now we're all kosher. Everything's fine. I read an article on The Verge uh, last year 
entitled This is How Rich People Watched Furious 7 last weekend. And it was basically <laughs> about this service called Prima. Have you heard of this, uh-huh. Devendra? Yep. Pri- Prima Cinema that basically allows you to watch first it, – it's, it's a uh, movie system for the ultra-rich – and it allows you to watch first-run uh, movies in your house the week that they come out. Um, I believe the price of the system is thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. So I don't know how rich this person is. Like uh, my, they're probably in kind of a weird point between being rich enough to buy these tickets, but not rich enough that they could actually afford right, Prima, right, right. which is like most people, uh, or I, I should say most um, like well-off people probably can't afford Prima, uh, but. If if this person is ultra rich, if Extra Seat Man in Brooklyn is ultra rich, then I'd say two things. Number one, of course, why aren't you donating to the Slash Filmcast, right? <laughs> and number two, yeah. by the way, we are happy to absolve you of any sins. Uh, <laughs> yes, when yes. you actually pay us, we'll uh, sell you all evaporate. these Slash Filmcast indulgences you want. That's right. Uh, but yeah, number one, you know, donate to the Slash Filmcast, support your local uh, movie podcast. Number two, potentially, you should invest in Prima. Uh, because it's a way where you can watch, you know, uh, Doctor Strange in your house without needing to bother anyone else. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm or, not sure or with anyone with else. That. Like, I think even the super rich look at like potential investments that they could be making. And look at something like Prima and be like, that is a waste of money. You know, like even <laughs> you're if talking I had about you know, again, Devendra. You're talking about a guy, extra seat man, who spends right. sixty dollars. That's not the same for- as a thirty-five thousand dollar. $60 for a gambit that, by his own admission, only works 75% of the time. Right. And aren't so the 25% things- of the time, it goes badly, and the $60 is in some way, like, wasted. Doesn't it cost you hundreds of dollars to actually get the movie from Prima as well, and still only a rental? I think, so, I think that's right, yeah. It, it is. That is money you were just flushing down a toilet. So my initial suggestion, by the, the way— The movies are $500 each, and it's rental yeah. only, just so you know. Yeah. So look into just, like— Stick a projector somewhere in your living room. It's not hard. You know, put a screen up somewhere. You could totally do it. And uh, if you don't mind waiting a couple of weeks, you can actually not deal with the whole you know crowd thing at all and have a really great experience at yeah. home. And honestly, it's a great thing too. Like seeing Black Mirror, uh, you know, with a setup like that, it's fantastic. Yeah. When you say a couple of weeks, you mean like eight weeks, which is yeah. which is still not very long. Like the, the window is so short now. It used you know? to be so much worse. You, right? It used to be you could be six to nine months between a movie in a theater and a movie at home. Mm-hmm. Now it's often three months. Like movies that were bl- big blockbusters in summer, uh, you can buy on Blu-ray today. You can get on video on demand today. There are some of them on Netflix. You know, so uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell this guy. Uh, Does Extra Seat Man not have uh, two well-behaved friends that can sit on either side of him? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't no one know. sits next to him, Jeff. <laughs> Haven't you learned anything? <laughs> Even on his couch. Yeah. So I think uh, if I could summarize the Slash Film Court's verdict today, it is essentially – Real doll. Uh, <laughs> it is essentially uh, – you know, potentially – you know. I don't know about the real doll, Jeff, but I think some way of weirding people out I don't think is a bad thing. You know, like if you had something to repel people by, by making them weirded out. and you're talking, not- about, you're talking about unreal doll. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, Jeff. It's a but, horrific, uh, horrific version of a Just a zombie. zombie. Just a zombie. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, you know, that's, that's one way to go. I think Davindra and I are recommending like varying degrees of a home theater system. But uh, overall, I think the, the sentiment is uh, you should not exercise this because 
it's if, in addition to not being a super effective way at achieving what you want of like making sure you, you don't have a bad experience, you're also punishing other filmgoers uh, during like crowded films. Again, like if it's like a non-crowded movie or whatever, totally fine. Yeah. But uh, stop and think whether or not you should, not just whether or not you could. This um, is the thing we like sometimes this. come back to as well. When you're trying to avoid the assholes, sometimes you go so far in extreme, you almost become that which you hate. Uh, uh, so yes. you always got you got to watch out for that, guys. Also, I have a feeling a lot of these theaters may wise up to some of this stuff at some point because it's even if. Um, this is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you actually buy the seats. If no one's sitting in it and uh, things get crowded, like I think at some point they'll have the right to say, like, let somebody sit there. Like you're just being a jerk right now. All right, guys. That's going to bring us to the end of our Slash Film Court segment. You can always keep your Slash Film Court emails coming into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're happy to talk about your dilemmas uh, at that point. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's move on. Before we get to our review of Jack Reacher, though, got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast. Marco D. from Germany. Steve G. from Prince Edward Island, California. Uh, I'm sorry, Canada. Prince Edward Island, Canada. Thank you so much for your contributions. Thanks also to new subscribers, Daniel Gutierrez, Michael Vangel, and The Obsessive Viewer, each of whom contribute $2 per month to Slash Filmcast. Uh, if you want to help us defray the cost of seeing movies and pay for uh, this show... Help us by going to SlashFilm.com, clicking on the SlashFilmCast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. We really appreciate it. Uh, it Talking to you, Extra Seat Man. Talking to you. you. Next week, I want to hear hear, uh, Dave say, uh, Marco D. from Germany, Extra SM from Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Yeah, use the money that you are no longer spending on the Extra Seats. And just uh, throw some money our way uh, on the Slash Filmcast. We really appreciate it. Also, subscribe to your local indie theater. They there you go. Money too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, we didn't even get into the opportunity cost of spending all that money. So right, right. Uh, <laughs> and other things that would be a better investment from a movie perspective. Anyway, let's get to our review of Jack Reacher. Never go back. Thanks for tipping us off to that sheriff. When are you coming to DC? I move around a lot. You're a legend. Folks wonder why you left. Purple Heart, Silver Star. There's this big dent in the desk. People say you made it with someone's head. Jack Reacher for Major Turner. Major Turner's been arrested. On what charge? Espionage. He's been set up. That was from the trailer of Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, uh, the newest film in the Reacher franchise. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Jack Reacher must uncover the truth behind a major government conspiracy in order to clear his name. On the run as a fugitive from the law, Reacher uncovers a potential secret from his past that could change his life forever. Now, uh, 
this movie stars Tom Cruise and Colby Smulders. Uh, Jack Reacher 1 was a movie that was directed by Chris McQuarrie, written for the screen by Chris McQuarrie, super talented filmmaker uh, behind films like The Usual Suspects, as well as Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. This movie trades in Chris McQuarrie for Ed Zwick, uh, who uh, has not made a, a great film, in my opinion, in, in a while. Uh, I did enjoy uh, that movie he made, uh, Courage Under Fire, right? Did he make that one? Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the, uh, the cultural implications there, I, I, The Last Samurai is a fun movie to watch, too. That's right. Uh, Last Samurai uh, and... Uh, Legends of the Fall. He also did The Siege, which is a movie that I thought was was prescient. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been right. a while. It's been a while. Uh, I did not like Defiance, which came out uh, eight years ago. Last Samurai came out in two thousand three, so it's been a while. Um, and uh, Chris McQuarrie also did not write this uh, script. It was written by uh, Richard Wenk, Edward Zwick, and Marshall Herskovitz, um, who was a collaborator on Thirty Something, the uh, TV series. Mm-hmm. So, but he we- did direct Glory, which is yeah. One of my favorite movies ever. We'll remember I, that forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still it talking is... about Ezra. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I I carried the soundtrack for Glory around on a cassette tape when I was a kid. <laughs> I just thought that movie was amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, was really unsure of what to expect from this movie going back back to it because Chris McQuarrie was not involved. But at the same time, Tom Cruise is generally. In entertaining films, like he is such a right. huge presence, but also like as a Hollywood influencer, he can exert a lot of influence over any project he's in. Right, like if he wants to do a scene this way, he's going to respect the director, but he also, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, in my experience, typically doesn't choose movies that are bad. So I, I was uh, pretty optimistic mm-hmm. going into this movie, especially since the first one was able to bring a lot of new elements to what could have been, you know, a straight to DVD mm-hmm. kind of genre procedural. He's uh, also but, typically pretty involved in like choosing directors for his projects too. Yeah, and like, that's this something is that's, coming out of his production studio. That's something that's awesome about Tom Cruise is if you think about uh, the Mission Impossible films, you know. Uh, Putting aside the horrible ethical objections you might have to him as a Scientologist, if you think about mm-hmm. the Mission Impossible films and uh, he, you know, he chose distinctly different directors and basically let them do their thing, you know, and that's not something that a lot of stars like Tom Cruise would do, you know, like they might want to exert more control or want to rein people in, but no, he just let people do their own thing and and kind of uh, develop and refine their own voice, and they have the. Uh, opportunity to work with one of the biggest action stars in the world. So yeah, Ed Zwick, just another uh, another person that Tom Cruise chose to to kind of work with. He already worked with him in The Last Samurai, uh, but Jessica- also Ed Zwick, him. <laughs> that's what, that's what I thought when I you know saw this uh, announcement that he'd be handling the sequel. Well, uh, Chris McQuarrie was probably busy, uh, is my guess. But Je- with Jeff the next Can- Mission Impossible, yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, but Jeff Kanata. You know, you were a big fan of Jack Reacher. You talked about it on the podcast last week. Uh, Jack Reacher, never go back. Should they have gone back to this franchise, Jeff? Uh, well, it sounds like right in the title. Uh, don't. <laughs> don't go back. No, <laughs> I'm really glad. As you said, I, I talked about it last week. I had not seen the first Jack Reacher film, and I'm really glad I watched it before watching this one because this one is what I thought the first one was, <laughs> which is why I didn't see it in the first right. place. But the first one's actually really good. The first one's really good. It's it really different. It's, it's not just an, an action film. This is just an action film. It's a very disposable action film. Tom Cruise, in my opinion, the guy doesn't make bad movies. And this movie isn't bad. 
it's just not good. It's not mm-hmm. great. It's just serviceable. It's sort of there. It does everything fine. It doesn't insult your intelligence in any way. I, I think it's fine. And it's sort of like Jack Reacher. It's like the Ms. Pac-Man of, of, <laughs> of Jack Reacher. Like he finds his <laughs> his exact lady duplicate and then, you know, it's it's more about these weird interpersonal relationships that we put Jack Reacher in. And I feel like we haven't known Jack Reacher long enough to put him in those relationships. Right. Um, the first sin that this movie commits, if you're a Jack Reacher movie, is that it doesn't have uh, – um, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Yeah. yeah. I mean, then there's there's no Werner Herzog, and there's no replacement for Werner Herzog, right? Right. Like that dude made that first movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, I, but also, I mean, I think you're ignoring Patrick Husinger, who plays the hunter in Jack Reacher. Never go back, Jeff. Yeah, I guess I am. That guy. Him. I guess I am. Um, it. it Everything that the first movie did that I that took me by surprise, which is create a really interesting mystery and present it in a very unconventional way where we sort of know the solution but we don't know the how, I found that to be really interesting. This movie just doesn't concern itself with that. This isn't the same formula, right? This is just a straight-up action movie. And yes, I guess there's kind of a conspiracy mystery but not really. It's There's no mystery to it per se. The only mystery is uh, familial, you know, is is who is related to Jack Reacher and who isn't, uh, and we don't kind of don't care. Um, and and the other thing that the first movie did really well is it presented a character, Jack Reacher, who is wry and and genuinely funny. He had these zingers throughout that really kind of endeared me to him because he was a guy who who's awesome, but like. Also kind of biting and sarcastic and, and, and fun. You, you immediately sort of dig Jack Reacher because he's like, he's too old for this shit and he's sort of <laughs> been here a million times. And, and in this one, all of that is gone. Like that, that guy isn't present. I mean we, we get side of, uh, kind of a grumpy Gus, especially when dealing with this you know, young girl that he's paired up with very early on in the movie. Um, but it's just a grumpy Gus. It's not like a fun – clever sarcastic uh, character who's genuinely funny he doesn't quip he just sort of is grumpy all the time and me, you know doesn't want to be around and the the action sequences are fine everything's fine there, it, it didn't ever i never didn't want to be watching it you know per se like i wasn't like oh this is stupid it was more like this is fine but there's nothing special about it Right, and I don't yeah. understand why. I, I, I why mean, this is I, made. I had a big problem with it. You know, I, I I'm not nearly as charitable as you on this movie. I think the problems start immediately with the movie. Which, if you watch the original Jack Reacher, which I went back and revisited it after our conversation last week, the opening of that film, it, it, just forget it even about the part where the sniper starts killing people randomly, uh, which is horrifying and gripping and intense. Uh, even just the lead up to that. The, the way it's edited and the close-ups mm-hmm. and the helicopter shots, uh, all the stuff, just the artistry of the opening credit sequence yeah. exceeds anything in Jack Reacher. Ten, ten minutes goes by in the first movie without, I think, anybody saying a word. Yeah, oh, right? oh, it's, it's a it's long all, time. Yeah, complete yeah. silence, like no dialogue. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like just so much craft went into the opening and of no, the movie. No and, Tom Cruise for that time too. True. Um, and But po- point being, like there, there was um, – there's no artistry to this film, but no mm-hmm. stakes as well. Like, 
when you see the uh, film Jack Reacher, the first one, uh, there's this horrible murder, and Jack Reacher is trying to get to the bottom of it. And in this movie, he tries to go on a date, and she gets arrested before he gets there, and that's that's <laughs> the driving force of the plot. Right. And there's just no stakes. And then there's you find out later that Colby Smulders, her character's uh, men have been murdered. and uh, But it's shown kind of in this flashback, and it's not particularly well done. And I just have no investment in the central mystery of this, this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and f- for that reason, I think it is a, a failure. Um, but beyond that, I think there's very little right to recommend it because everything that this movie tries to do, Jack Reacher Part 1 does way better. Uh, so... Not a big fan. I will tell this one story, and then I'll turn it over to Devendra to get your thoughts on this movie, Devendra. Um, Something happened in my screening of Jack Reacher that's never happened to me before. I was watching Jack Reacher Never Go Back, and about an hour into the film, uh, someone's alarm started going off, like on their phone or on their watch. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what it was. It was like – I'm just going to imitate it right now. It was like – Beep, 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 beep. It was like that. It was very high-pitched. Every – all like the three, four hundred people in the theater – I don't know what it was, but mm-hmm. all 300, 400 people in the theater could hear what it was. And so after like a minute, people like they're, they kept letting it go and it was fine. But then after five minutes, people started saying like shouting out, you know, they started like shouting helpful suggestions like turn it off. Uh, and then one guy said, the person probably can't hear it. So if you're next to them, tell them to turn it off, which was probably a better you know, piece yeah. of advice. Yeah. 15 minutes in. To this alarm still going on, uh, they like there was a bunch of consternation. Like the security people were like walking back and forth. They're like, "What's going on?" Uh, and then finally, uh, something that's never happened to me in all the eight years that I've been doing the Sci-Fi Cast happened. They paused the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which. I know you're technically allowed to pause a DCP, but they've just never done that before. Cause it, and it is like it feels like oh my gosh, like you're breaking the fourth wall in some way. Because <laughs> uh, I've just never seen like a preview screening paused uh, before. Right. Uh, because I, I think there are like restrictions as to when, what time they can play those movies, so they usually just keep trucking no matter what horrible stuff is happening in the theater. They pause the screening, and then uh, someone came in and said, "Hey, if that noises you." please turn it off. And the person couldn't figure out a way to deactivate whatever it was. So they had to eject them from the theater. Uh, too much applause. But uh, that sucks for that person. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were literally like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, exactly. They, like, left they, yeah, the they, 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 they walked away and it was still beeping when they walked away. And that away. beep is still going on to this very day. They're just living with it. Like, like the people that don't know how to change their uh, smoke detector in their house and they just leave, live with the beep forever. Yeah. You know? Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, Now, some people said, hey, might this have impacted your enjoyment of the film? To which I say, yes, it made it more exciting um, (laughs) than the movie was itself. Devendra Hardwar, uh, your thoughts on Jack Reacher Never Go Back? Yeah. Uh, This movie is basically, I think, a pretty serviceable episode of like uh, a cable show. You know, it's, it's a TV episode. And that's pretty much it. And that it's was like the law danger. and order criminal intent military exactly. edition. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's <laughs> law and order military police. And CIS. Or exactly. Yeah. That that's military, right? That's Navy police. Yeah. Um so it's sort of similar. But yeah, there's nothing special about it. There's nothing really memorable about it. Um and that's a shame because I think not only, you know, the first movie had so much great craft to it, but there are all these great set pieces that you really remember. They were kind of different when it comes to action movies. Uh the fight sequences I think were really kinetic. There's that one fight in the bathroom 
uh, of the guys just like bumping into each other, which is funny to think about even to this day, that chase scene. So much good stuff. Even if the first movie was a little cliched at times, I think it was cliched in a fun way, you know, for people who really enjoyed like old school action movies. This one, we barely have any decent action, right? There's yeah. some there, not really many set pieces. And, uh, I didn't hate it as much as you, Dave. Like, I think it is pretty serviceable. There are some stakes there. I like the, you know, early on, you see the conversations between Jack Reacher and Kobe Smulders' character. Um, I like Kobe Smulders a lot from uh, How I Met Your Mother. I'm glad that she has a chance to actually be a significant part of this movie and kick some butt uh, because she was cast in the Avengers movies and got to do nothing. So She is the one know. good thing to come out of this film is yeah. that, she, you know, she gets to have uh, – a spotlight next to Tom Cruise, one of our biggest action stars, and is able to show that, yeah, she uh, can kick ass and, and hopefully, like, cement her status as an action star in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope, I hope it's good for her career, uh, because I'm, I'm rooting for her as, as an right, actor. Right. But, I you mean, know. you would think Avengers would do that, too, but, yeah, that was such a small role that probably yeah. She's, didn't she's a major over. protagonist in this film, so... Yeah, uh, yeah. But, it's a big deal. Uh, there are things this movie does that I think even the trailers didn't talk about, so I won't mention too much about... Uh, you know, the younger person who ends up being a significant portion of the film, too. Yeah. Um, but this movie also casts Holt McCallany, who I really like as an actor. Um, he's been in a bunch of things and completely wastes him. And I think that's also that's a sign of like how how much you didn't even get what you were doing here. Right. You <laughs> hire a guy who's built like a fucking tank. Right. I want to see that guy fight Tom Cruise. I want to see a knockdown drag out battle between these two dudes. And uh, instead we have Hulk McElney, uh in like a pretty, you know, secondary role, pretty much just behind a desk. The whole Hulk, Hulk McElhinney, for those who don't know, is a very talented character actor. Uh, he plays Colonel Morgan in this movie. Uh, but I think most people probably know him as the guy who says the words, his name is Robert Paulson in yes. Fight Club. He's one of the first also, people to say those words. the guy who tried to rape Ripley in Alien 3. So that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, he had a TV show a couple years ago, too, that I really liked. Yeah, uh, liked I remember. That. It was about boxing, the boxing right? Show. Yeah, the boxing show, yeah. Uh, so he's like a he, – I love seeing him around. I think he's a genuinely good actor. Um, just kind of a waste there. Not the biggest, you know, misstep of the film, but I think a sign of like how it just didn't even try to be creative, whereas the first movie was just creative all the way through. Those little quips Reacher was saying, but the first movie often feels like it's written like a play or something. Like, if the dialogue is very pitter-patter, it's very, um, or uh, what's the word for that? Yeah. The dialogue goes back and forth really, really well. Yeah. And there's none of that here. It's all pretty just straightforward. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, I, and yeah, I was very disappointed. The cast did not seem well used other than maybe Colby Smulders. Uh, and th- there's nothing to recommend this movie. Like, the action is not super great. Mm-hmm. I uh, Googled the movie, Jack Reacher Never Go Back, and I was stunned, stunned to see that Google had said that the budget for this movie is $96 million. Wow. It does not look like a $96 million movie. Now, uh, one of my contacts and Slash Filmcast listeners uh, whose works within Paramount told me that uh, the real budget is actually $68 million. Even uh-huh. then, it still yeah. feels like a lot. Uh, it yeah. does not look like a $68 million movie, in my opinion. Um, and I, I kind of think that if they had made this movie for like $15 million or something – uh, it would f- it would feel more like worthy of what they were trying to do with this movie, mm-hmm. but maybe uh, fifty million of that sixty eight million dollars was Tom Cruise's paycheck or something like that. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, yeah, very little to recommend this movie just because, like, I don't think it does anything well, you know, between mm-hmm. uh, the action scenes, between the mystery, between, you know, getting the most out of the performances. Actually, no, it does do one thing well. Mm-hmm. It does the kind of family banter, you know, that we saw in shows like 30-something really well. Like, are you guys going out? Like, that kind of stuff. You know, I kind of dug that stuff because <laughs> it was very charming. But it belongs in a completely different movie. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like it belongs to this movie at all. Um, so I, I say, you know, they, they should never have gone back to this franchise, and you should not go to the theater to see Jack Reacher never go well, back. Well, I don't know if they should never have gone back to the franchise. I, I could see the appeal here for Tom Cruise. Like, it's another, you know, uh, fixer guy who solves problems with his fists and is smarter than everybody else in the room. And that's, like, the character Tom Cruise has played throughout his entire career, I guess, without always fighting. Um, but the movie does make a point of like uh, maybe this is better off as a TV show with somebody who's not Tom Cruise to like give us these episodes, you know, once a week uh, on a cable network or something well, like that, that. Maybe where this is headed. On that note, a lot of people have pointed out that um, Tom Cruise does not look like what Jack Reacher was described in the books. Sure, sure. Theoretically, that was a complaint with the first movie yeah, too. Exactly, two hundred forty pounds. You know, six foot five. Tom Cruise, I think, is five foot eight. You know, he's not very tall, yeah, and not a super imposing figure. But he cast himself as Jack Reacher, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess uh, now that we've had two Reacher films, do we feel like these movies would be different or better if there was uh, a different actor playing Jack Reacher? Like, do, do the we, problem is not. Do we, yeah, do we? Yeah, my question is, do we feel like Tom Cruise being cast as the actor? of Jack Reacher, as the character of Jack Reacher, does that hurt the film in any way, or are we cool with it? No. Other than exploding the budget, like, I think that's <laughs> the only way it hurts the film, but he's, like, for being tough guy, uh, I think he's still fine. He's still very good at doing that sort of thing. So the first movie worked, and people complained about his size, but it's as if they never saw the movie and saw how well that movie worked. Jeff Canale, yeah, might- you, you agree? I might have a different opinion if I read the books and was a big fan of the books. You know, maybe I, I would I would be much more offended by it because I if I had some affinity for the character. But he's great. He's charming. He gets movies made. <laughs> you know that he's uh, I don't yeah. know. I, I, he's he's always excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Say what you will about his, his personal life. The dude is always excellent in in every movie I've ever seen him in. So uh, I, I can't I can't diss that. I don't know. So it sounds like you guys thought this movie was uh, serviceable, okay entry, whereas Jack Reacher 1 was able to, in some ways, uh, transcend its genre. Uh, I thought this movie was a colossal waste of time. I, it's actually a movie I would have walked out of if I wasn't reviewing it for the podcast. Man, you, um, you really haven't seen enough bad movies recently, Dave. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I could just tell, like, an hour in, and again... Uh, Please believe me when I say that that alarm going off did not impact my opinion on the film. Like an hour in, I was just like, there is nothing here that compels me to stay and watch this. Like I, I, I have no interest in, in whether he solves the crime or what consequences will come of it. Right. right. Uh, and all that stuff at the end just felt very convenient. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even know if we need a spoiler section for this episode, but just it just felt like it tied up super quickly uh, and – I just was left feeling nothing at the end of it. So I am not a fan of this movie and do not think it should be watched. Um, any other thoughts? <laughs> at all. Yeah, at all. At all. Like, at just all. see Jack Reacher 1 and stop there and don't I think, watch uh, the movie. The bigger disappointment is that the movie had so many chances to, like, do something cool and interesting and just kind of didn't. It's also... 
I guess it's one thing to like not even try to one up the previous film because maybe Edswick just didn't want to do that sort of thing. But like there are things that happen. There's like a major firefight in the middle of the movie and it lasts all of maybe five minutes. And what we see is actually pretty cool. Like I think the way they did some of the weapon effects sounds cool and really propulsive, but there's nothing interesting at all about the scene or about what, how anything is happening. And I think the geography of most of those action scenes were terrible too. So uh, I, I don't know. I really wonder why the heck Ed Wick was chosen to do this movie. Like I wonder yeah, if he just he's shown his he's hand shown with... action shops in the past. You know he's not. Yeah. He's well, not last time right, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. It's just when that was a long time ago. Yeah. You know, it's Tom Cruise is typically the guy we've seen like go to maybe a new and upcoming director or somebody who's a little more interesting to try to yeah, you know I, lift up the franchise. I think you're you're. you're it's a situation where. You're looking for a director who is going to bring something really fresh to a fairly straightforward procedural, mm-hmm. and that did not happen. You know, it did not happen. Yeah. It, it is just basically a straightforward and not particularly good and interesting procedural. And Ed Zwick so. is not the guy I would think of to do something super interesting. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, if you were to create a list, you know, of okay, who can who can help breathe some more life into this franchise? Uh, that uh, oh, the first one's actually surprisingly good, and he bet on Christopher McQuarrie, and uh, that was a big thing because McQuarrie was in uh, director jail for a while, right? Since uh, was Wave it the, the gun? Way of the gun? Yeah. yeah, and that was like what two thousand, two thousand one. That was a while ago. So I don't know. Avengers is basically using but, this review to get out his Ed Ed Zwick vendetta. So. I have no vendetta. I just why him? Like there, are, there may be other choices out there. That's all. I, you know, I think the the failure is not just the direction, although it, definitely the direction too. You're, but, you're, all your but, criticisms do re- re- he kind of refer to that. It's Amistur. also it's also the script, which all, I should say Edswick also worked on. So yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, and I'm he not, brought in his friends, Dave. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not a fan of this movie, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's our review. Yeah. Of Jack Reacher never go back. Jeff, any closing thoughts? or Are you good? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a bummer to me because I had just watched the first movie and I liked it a lot. I was really looking forward to this film. It just, again, I don't think it's as bad as you make it out to be, Dave. It's just, it's just kind of there. It's not particularly. It's this is a movie that you could watch on an airplane and be fine. Yeah, it's it's Your a movie you could watch on an airplane likes- and and the the second you stepped foot <laughs> off the airplane. You would forget He'll it forget completely. It. Yeah. yeah. Your well, dad I'm already love this movie. Your grandpa will love this movie. Think about that. <laughs> the, the fact that I I've watched the first Jack Reacher, the second Jack Reacher, and the Accountant all within the space of like a week and a half, <laughs> they all kind of blend in in my head now. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Probably not the best follow up to the Accountant, huh? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Honest question, guys. Honest question. Which is a better film, Jack Reacher Never Go Back or The Accountant? Jack Reacher. I, yeah, Jack Reacher. I vote for the accountant. Really like accountant I vote for, for the accountant because, like, it, okay, oh, really, you like oh, really, guys, movie. really, guys, you're, you're saying if I gave you a choice of yes. which movie to watch, you would choose Jack Reacher, never go back over the accountant. I would rather watch Tom Cruise emote rather than Ben Affleck not. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> there you go. Agreed. That is that is insanity. What you're saying right now, <laughs> the accountant is so crazy, such an off the wall movie. It is course, so, it was way more interesting than Jack Reacher Never Go Back. I don't know about I feel like that. Jack Reacher's like half the running time of the accountant also. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you, can, you can get out, have a nice walk, enjoy, yeah. enjoy your life. 
That's our review of Jack Reacher. Never go back. Thanks for listening. Um, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. Find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our Slash Film Court music comes from SimonMHarris.com. Uh, Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata. And I have two other shows for you to check out. If you like video games, check out the DLC podcast at 5x5.tv slash DLC. In fact, the episode that went up today, uh, as we're recording this Monday, uh, has some bonus content with our very own Davinja Hardwar talking about yeah, Batman. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for doing that. I, I wasn't even present. That was uh, Davinja and my other my co-host. Yeah, we, uh, we just kind of snuck out and just like we whispered to each other about Batman. It was great. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah do you guys talk about the, the Nintendo Switch? We absolutely talk about the Nintendo sure. Switch. Nice. So you got to yeah. talk about that. We talk about the Red Dead Redemption 2 trailer. We talk, it's a jam-packed episode of Awesome. <laughs> so there was a, an amazing trailer of Logan this week. Um, I will not say anything that was revealed in the trailer, Jeff. Other than that, there was a song, Johnny Cash is Hurt, in the trailer. Um, but someone actually set the Nintendo Switch announcement to <laughs> – Johnny Cash is hurt. Do you see that? Yeah. Jeff? No, I didn't. Oh, it's funny, it's because basically the Nintendo Switch commercial shows like guys playing video games by themselves in the dark <laughs> of their apartment. Yeah. So when you so set like, it to different music, like it's set to like jaunty fun music right now, but when you set it to really sad music, it takes on a whole different meaning. <laughs> Recommend you check that out. Yeah. Uh, Davindra Hardware, where can find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Davindra and I write about tech at Engadget.com. And find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. Find uh, my film, The Primary Instinct, at theprimaryinstinct.com and also available on Hulu right now. Next week, we'll be reviewing Black Mirror Season 3. Uh, all the episodes, we've seen them already. We're going to record that in a few seconds. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotted just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who?